Well, as I uh, reflected on the scriptures this week, a couple questions came to mind. What does it take for God to get our attention? And once he has our attention, how do we continue to walk with him, following after him where he leads with joyful thanksgiving? Now, our story this morning about the contest Elijah arranged on top of Mount Carmel between the true covenant God of Israel and the demon with much ambition who was called Lord, lowercase l, by the people, concludes with an eye-popping miracle. I hope you saw it when it was read. The people's Lord did nothing from morning to evening. Then God's prophet repaired his altar. He made a new one and arranged the sacrifice on the wood and poured 12 large jars of water over everything And it even filled a trench. Then Elijah prayed and asked God to send fire down to earth. The fire that fell consumed everything in an instant, even the water. God had his people's attention. But then, there's always a but then. Okay, the problem with the human condition is actually expressed in a line on a 1972 album by Jethro Tull. And the line goes, we will be geared to the ordinary rather than the exceptional. Now, I'm also paraphrasing something C.S. Lewis wrote in the same vein. And the question he asked is how can we ever get children away from playing in mud puddles on the street so we get to take them to the beach and they can see the sand and the ocean. We seem to be content to be doing the same ordinary things day after day after day. And I'm not just saying we, I'm saying me. It's easy to get into a rut. But we have two miracle stories today. Both show the amazing power of God who dwells in unapproachable light. That's one of my favorite phrases in scripture. So as we consider them, may God help us to be transformed in our hearts and in our minds so that we can live every moment in constant wonder and amazement at how awesome he is. And then that we can come to appreciate his life-giving, life-changing love. We need to really know that. It's so clearly demonstrated by what Jesus did on the cross on Good Friday. 
So now let's go to our stories this morning from Scripture. We'll start with 1 Kings and the Elijah story. After three years east of the Jordan River, and we saw the beginning of this last week, Elijah meets Ahab, and Elijah proposes a contest to determine if the people should go after, walk after, follow Yahweh or Baal. So the first half is after Elijah corrects Ahab, he requests Ahab to gather all Israel along with 450 prophets of Baal to decide who is the true God. And at the end of the first half, Baal does nothing. Zip, nada, zero, zilch. Let's take it line by line. Obadiah arranges for Ahab and Elijah to meet. Now, if you were to read the first verses of this chapter, Obadiah, whose name means servant of Yahweh, somehow he got to be Ahab's house manager. This is the same position that Joseph had with Potiphar in Egypt. And isn't it ironic? a person of God with a pagan boss. Now he had hidden 100 prophets from Jezebel, but Elijah was always disappearing and Ahab was getting mad with murderous intents. So he asked for Elijah, please assure me you will indeed meet with Ahab. I love Yahweh. And Elijah says, yes, of course. Then Ahab, this is interesting, he calls Elijah the troubler of Israel, and Elijah correctly turns this back on Ahab. So why would Ahab do this? Well, this is a tough truth, but we have to speak the truth. Sinners, most of the time, would rather attack God's messenger than actually repent and turn to God. That's what he's doing. And Elijah in vernacular says, no, Ahab, it's you. He says, Ahab and his father Amri have troubled Israel by forsaking Yahweh's commandments and going after these Baals. What were Baals? They were demons, Storm gods named Lord, that's Baal in English, with a lowercase. And it's kind of interesting if you go back to Genesis and you look at the Hebrew. There was a time when Sarah sarcastically called Abraham Baal. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you want, my master. I'm your wife. Okay, He then asked Ahab to send for all Israel to gather on Mount Carmel with all the false prophets. Ahab does so. Why all Israel? Yahweh wants to use his prophet to turn the hearts of all of his people back to him. So we're told 450 Baal prophets and 400 Asherah prophets They gather on Mount Carmel or Mount Garden. That's what it would mean in English. 
Now, Asherah, the name means groves. In fact, as you heard this read in the King James, they didn't make it a proper name. They said 450 prophets of the groves. Now, she was supposed to give um, good fortune, okay? And she was the consort or shakapani of Baal, the god of thunder. So they go together like a husband and wife. Then Elijah draws near after Ahab brings them all there and says, how long will you halt, King James Version, between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, go after him. And if Baal, I, I am Yahweh's only prophet. Now, a better word for halt is to limp. We can picture that, somebody limping. And what's really going on here is the people of Israel were limping because they were trying to worship two gods, the true God and a false god. And you can't help but limp. So Elijah gives them a clear choice. Go after Yahweh or go after And later, Jesus would say the same thing. No one can serve two masters, God or not. So here's our application. That was way back then, you know, 750 BC or earlier. We, and I say I first, we get limping between two opinions. We know something about the true God. But too often we get caught up in our ordinary existence on earth. So here's our challenge. Will we be led by the Holy Spirit to commit to always walk after the true God that he may rise us up above our limited lives? Let us go after the true God. And again, he says, I alone am left. Well, that's interesting. Yes, I thought about this. He's probably the only prophet. But in the very next chapter, when he was about as low as he could go, Yahweh spoke to him gently and said, I still have 7,000 faithful people in Israel. So then he proposes this contest by fire between the gods, their gods, and Yahweh. So here's the rules of the contest. Pretty simple. Let them give two bulls, and they can choose the one they want to sacrifice. I'll take the other. But no fire. We cannot light a fire. It's not about us. You call on your gods. I call on Yahweh. And the God will answer by fire. And all the people, probably thousands of them gathered, said, the thing is good. All right, people, it's on. Let's do it. So Elijah lets them do their bull first. For they are many, and they do so. And they call on Baal. Now remember, this is from morning to noon, and we're told... No voice, 
No one answering. And then they limped, the same word that was used earlier, about the altar that they made. You see, this is what Israel was doing in their sins. They were limping around because they weren't going after Yahweh. And now, at noontime, Elijah starts to have some fun with them. Ignore that. He starts to have fun with them. He mocks them. He's derisive to them. And you know what? Again, not just them, but us. May we all see and never forget, it is futile to walk after anything less than the true God. And then he says, call in a big voice because he is a God, lowercase g. He's a demonic spirit. Oh, maybe he's talking or he stepped aside or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping and he'll be awakened. See, that's the thing about anyone that's not the true God. But the Bible tells us over and over again, the true God always has open ears. He's always present with us and he's always awake. He will never sleep. Now, here's where it gets kind of gross. They cut themselves also. In afternoon time, they prophesy. That's the ecstatic utterances. Until the burnt offering. So what's going on here? They continue the big voice, but they cut themselves. And I looked up these words in a Bible dictionary. This is hard to take. Swords and spears until the blood gushes. You know, it's sick what we'll do if we're not worshiping the true God. And even after all of this that they did, an evening is coming on. No voice, no answer, no attention. And now the second half, as evening approaches... Elijah repairs Yahweh's altar, pours 12 large jars of water over the bull and the wood, and he prays a short prayer to Yahweh, fire falls, consuming everything. Let's look at the details. Then Elijah told all the people to come near him. He repaired Yahweh's altar. He called and they came near. They were noticing what was happening all day. And then he repaired Yahweh's altar. Now, this word repair, even in the Old Testament and the New as well, it can also mean to heal. Now, who had thrown down that altar and broken it? None other than Ahab, the true troubler of Israel. And then he also took 12 stones, he built an altar, and made a trench around it. And we're told, plain as day, these stones represented the tribes from the 12 sons of Jacob, which name means supplanter. But God said, no, I'm going to change your name. You will be Israel, meaning God will prevail. And then he built this altar in Yahweh's name. And there was a trench around it. And Elijah did all of this 
in the name of the covenant God. And I looked this up online, but I trust I got the right answer. A couple of different sources said it. That trench could hold 10 gallons of water. That was just the overflow, okay? But you notice how Elijah built a new altar because God was about to do something new. May we be seeking to build altars of worship to God, and may we not just leave them there, but use them daily. Then Elijah properly put the wood on the altar and cut the bull in pieces, and then he put them, the pieces on the wood. Then three times he had four large jars filled with water and poured over everything. Now... He used so much water. You've got the cut up pieces of meat. You've got the wood. You've got the stones. You've got the trench. And the trench filled with water. Was this a waste of water after three years of drought? No. No. He was commanded to do this in the true God was going to make a dramatic miracle of fire to get his people's attention. Now, I heard this from Dave Warren 17 years ago, and I think it's interesting. We're told that after the fire, a cloud rose from the sea, but also there was a cloud burst over Elijah, and they came together. These two sources that merged... Could it have been, yes, the water from the sea with the cloud, but also those 12 large jars which were evaporated up? Could they have come back as rain? And it's another miracle. I just put it out there. I found it interesting when I first heard it. Then Elijah prayed to to Yahweh, the Yahweh of the patriarchs. I won't name them all. Let it be known, you our God in Israel. I am your servant and have done all this at your word. Now answer me, and this people will know you are the covenant God, Yahweh, and you have turned their heart back again. So it's a short prayer, and he wants all Israel to know Yahweh is God. And then he twice requests an answer to his last prayer. What is that prayer? He wants the covenant God to turn the heart of the people back to him. You see, God is the first or the prime mover. And remember also what Jesus said in John's gospel. No one can come to him for forgiveness or salvation healing unless that person is drawn to Jesus by the Father. We need God to act. That's why he prayed it twice. Then the fire of Yahweh fell, consumed everything, even the trench water, and then all the people fell on their faces declaring, Yahweh, he is God. So this fire falls. This spectacular fire consumed 
the bull, the wood, the stones, and we're told the water that was in the trench was licked up. An awesome manifestation of God. One of the things about fire in scripture is fire manifests God's presence. And then we're told all, remember God's desire was to touch all his people. Having seen, they fall on their faces. So this is a physical act of worship with their bodies. And then they twice declare, Yahweh, he is God. By repeating their declaration, they're making a stronger testimony. So here's the bottom line of the Elijah story and miracle. These people, at least for some time, will no longer limp between the true God and the false gods and the false prophets of these gods They are all declaring, let us go after the true God. Now we jump up to the Gospels, and we got a little miracle that we're told about, about Jesus. He took three apostles up a mountain. Seems like everything happens on a mountain, where his form is changed. His clothes become exceedingly white, and who should show up but Elijah? He appears to them with Moses, and they're talking with Jesus. So in context, six days after Jesus first predicted his death and blew their minds, he takes Peter, James, and John up a high mountain, and his form is changed. Now, we talked about this Wednesday night. After predicting his death, Jesus is taking three apostles. This is what they call an historic present tense narrative. By putting it in the now, it draws us right into this ancient story with them. And oh yeah, by the way, the names here are from the oldest to the youngest. And this inner circle was a diverse group. Peter means rock. James is actually Jacob. And we've already said Jacob means the supplanter. And Yohanan in Hebrew, we shorten it to John in English, means Yahweh is gracious. These were the three that were with him. And he is leading them up to a high mountain for themselves alone. You see, it's important. Jesus knows they need to get away from the large crowd. So Elijah did it before thousands and thousands, Jesus before three. And he was changed in form in front of them. He was acted on from outside his human body. This metamorphosis, that's the Greek word that's translated. It happened, as I said, from outside. It's likely. I figure the Father and the Holy Spirit acted together on Jesus to do this transformation before their eyes. The verb is passive. Jesus didn't do this. Now, the inner three saw this miraculous change, this transformation. How long did it take to happen? How long did it last? We're not told, just that it happened. And then on top of that, 
His clothes became exceedingly whiter than bleached cloth, and Elijah appears to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So we're told his clothing became shining, exceedingly brilliant white. Mark just said there's not enough words in our human vocabulary to describe how white this was. Now, the noun of his clothing is plural, meaning whatever he was wearing. But the verb is singular, meaning this was one big miracle. How white so that no professional bleacher, that's what a fuller King James is, is able to bleach white. Again, this is what a miracle is all about. No earthly compound, no skilled worker could have done this. And then having appeared to them, Elijah with Moses. So Elijah was brought to them by God. It wasn't Elijah who decided to come down. It's another passive verb. And with him, Moses, you know, I thought about this. I think this is the only time Moses ever played second fiddle in scripture. I just finished reading Deuteronomy in my private devotionals within the last week. Read the last couple of paragraphs. It says, no one ever was like Moses before or after. But he's playing second fiddle to Elijah here. But also, this is neat, and some of you have mentioned this to me. After 1,500 years, Moses is finally allowed to set foot in the promised land spoken of to Abraham. What a blessing. And they were continuously talking with Jesus. Now, it was a long talk. We don't know again how long. But Luke says they were talking about his exodus, meaning the atoning death on the cross. Just as the first exodus was salvation to slavery in Egypt, the second Exodus is salvation from our sins to be right with God. We must all commit to taking extended periods of time to be talking with the resurrected Jesus. This is what prayer is all about. So here's the bottom line before I wrap it up quickly. Let the story of the transformation of Jesus and the five people who shared it with him be our incentive to always go after the true God. Don't let anything get in the way. Let us go after the true God. You see, the true God does eye-popping, mind-blowing miracles so that people who are limping with two opinions may fully decide to always go after, walk after him and no one else, bowing to him in humble worship and declaring Yahweh, the three-in-one God, he is God, there is no other people. Let us go after the true God. I pray that he can change us so that it will be more and more common in our lives.